Amen. What a great Lord we serve. Great to be here this morning. Welcome to all those who are watching online. Thanks for joining us. Uh, We hope that today you will hear God's word and it will speak to your heart. Uh, I want to start with a bit of history. Uh, I was watching the other day uh, this movie called Midway. came out last year. Amazing movie. I really loved it. Um, Not because um, uh, I love war or anything, but I just recognized the heroism that went on during the Second World War was unparalleled. It was amazing. And, uh, um, but in this movie, it, it depicts what happened during the Second World War in the Pacific in, in an amazing way. I mean, the, the battle really started with the, the bombing of uh, Pearl Harbor. And, uh, and in that bombing, the, Jap- the Imperial Japanese forces uh, basically decimated the Pacific f- fleet of the Americans. Uh, they, they knocked out 19 ships uh, and they killed 2,400 uh, servicemen, and uh, it was it was a disaster, a heavy blow to the Pacific Fleet. Um, and so then the the during the next six months, the uh, the Imperial Japanese Army or Navy just did whatever they wanted, and they had some amazing successes in the uh, uh, various oceans that they patrolled, uh, including destroying the HMS Prince of Wales and the HMS Repulse. Both of these were capital ships, big ships, and they were both sunk for the first time ever by torpedo bombers. Uh, Airplanes had taken out capital ships for the first time under steam at that moment. And uh, then in April 1942, and the Indian Ocean raid drove the Royal Navy completely out of uh, Southeast Asia. And so the Japanese Navy ruled the seas, in this part of the world. And uh, basically, they had the freedom to do whatever they wanted. And so the next plan was that they were going to go and attack Midway. It was a, an American uh, naval base, basically midway across the Pacific. So it was, it was far from everything. Like, and it was basically helpless. And it was, a, it was a way station with lots of refueling for American planes and all that. And so it was a strategic place. Um, and particularly... Um, what the Japanese uh, commanders decided was that they were going to go to Midway, bomb the living daylights out of the Midway, and hopefully the American Navy would try to come to the rescue. And then they were just going to crush the living daylight, the, the remainder of the American Navy. They were going to just destroy it. And it was a really good plan, actually. Uh, the historians tell us that the American Navy was outgunned by this, bat, this single battle group from the, uh, from the Japanese, outgunned the Americans four to one. I mean, the Americans only had three aircraft carriers. This battle group, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> this battle group had six aircraft carriers. <clears throat> the American Navy had no, no, destro- no, um, heavy battleships. They were all destroyed at Pearl Harbor. There were none left. But the, the, uh, the uh, Japanese forces had these huge uh, battleships, the biggest battleships ever to be built of all time. They, had them, they were the most modern. They had just been finished, and they were enormous. I have a, a video clip of one of these things, one of these behemoths. These things could shoot 
projectiles out of their 18-inch guns. That's an 18-inch gun, okay? The cannons were as long as this room, and they would shoot projectiles uh, over the horizon. Uh, and any, any ship that came anywhere near was in serious trouble. You get hit by one of those things, you're done. Uh, and, and so these, these mighty battleships, along with uh, 30 cruisers, twice as many as the Americans had, along with 42 um, destroyers, fast destroyers, uh, way more than twice as many as the Americans had, uh, and in all of this equipment, they were all heading for, um, <clears throat> for Midway. So did the Pacific fleet of the Americans get crushed in this battle like they were supposed to? Well, actually, it was the Imperial Japanese Navy that was dealt a death blow. How come? How did this happen? What changed the fortunes of the Americans in this critical battle? They say that this battle changed the history of the Pacific War. And, uh, and in fact, it, it changed, it, the way it changed it was that the attackers became the defenders and the defenders became the attackers. So what happened? How did this happen? How can a group so outnumbered win the battle? Well, the Americans had something that the Japanese didn't have. And it was, it didn't, the thing that they had didn't shoot anything. It wasn't armor plated. It wasn't glamorous. It didn't look powerful. Had no explosives. Wasn't tested even. But it turned the tide of the war that day. You know what it was? No, well, that might have been part of it. <laughs> it probably was part of it. <laughs> you know what it was? It was knowledge, exactly. It was knowledge of the enemy, intel. They knew where the enemy was going to be. They knew that the Japanese were coming. They, were, they had this, these little bunkers on, 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 uh, on, on Pearl Harbor, actually. And once they had been caught uh, with their pants down, so to speak, once, and it wasn't going to happen again. And so they were, they were collecting all of the radio transmissions from the, the Navy. They had uh, code deciphers working day and night. They had linguists there. They had uh, translators. They had everybody. They were trying to figure out what are they going to do next? What are they going to do? What are they going to do? And what they discovered was the Japanese army had a plan. And their plan was to go to Midway, bomb the living daylights out of it, lure the American fleet out, and then destroy it. (laughs) But the Americans found out about the plan. And the uh, Japanese fleet showed up exactly where they were supposed to, on the exact moment they were supposed to be there. And the Americans surrounded, or I don't think they surrounded, but they, they attacked with surprise before the fleet got to Midway. So, in other words, what happened was, instead of their airplanes being um, equipped with torpedoes and uh, armor-piercing bombs, the Japanese only had regular dumb bombs for bombing airfields and for bombing buildings. But then suddenly they saw carrier-based aircraft attacking them. And they were like, what? What's going on? There must be a carrier fleet nearby. 
And so they, they started changing. And, and the first wave did absolutely no damage to the Imperial uh, Navy. And so what they did is they got all their planes on deck and they started switching out the armaments. They were taking off the bombs and putting on, on uh, torpedoes and, and heavy armor-piercing bombs. And while they were doing this, the, bomb dive, the dive bombers of the Americans attacked. And it was because of this knowledge that in five minutes, three of the, of the Japanese carriers were destroyed and the whole tide of the war was changed while the Japanese were switching out their armaments because of intel. And you might say, Pastor, why are you telling this grandiose story? I mean, what, what is this all about, you know? Well, let me tell you what it's about. We are in a battle, my friends. You might not know it, but we are in a battle. And if we don't have intel, if we don't understand what our, our enemy is doing, we're going to lose the battle. That battle was won because of, of, of knowledge of the enemy's strategies and what they were going to do. Um, and, you know, in, in today's passage from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, 9, 10, and 11, we're going to look at the advice that Peter gives to Christians so that we can have knowledge of what the devil is up to, what our adversary, the devil, is doing. And that knowledge will save the day. You see, 500 years before Peter wrote this, there was this uh, Chinese guy, a general named uh, Sun Tsing, and he wrote this book called The Art of War. He was a master at this. And this is what he said, Know thine enemy. Well, actually, what he said was, Know your enemy. Um, If you know your enemy and yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. So what's he saying? If you know your enemy and you know, you know his weaknesses, you know his strengths, you know your weaknesses, your strengths, you don't need to fear the battle. You're gonna, you're gonna do just fine. If you know yourself but not your enemy, every victory gained by you will also suffer a defeat. In other words, it's gonna be a 50-50 thing. But if you neither know your enemy nor yourself, you will succumb to every battle. Let me tell you, friends, there are a lot of Christians who succumb to every battle. They don't know themselves. They don't realize where the power to win the battle comes from. They don't understand themselves. But particularly, they don't understand the battle. They don't understand the enemy. They don't know his tactics. They don't understand what he's doing and how he's doing it and why they fail all the time and why, why am I losing this battle all the time? If we had a show of hands, there'd probably be lots of people in this room that would say, yeah, I don't know why I keep failing. It's maybe because we don't know the tactics of the enemy. But if we learn the tactics of the enemy, praise God, the battle is going to be won regularly. And so Peter says this, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Stand strong in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of grace, who called you according to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you 
make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be power forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Amen. (laughs) What an awesome passage, eh? Uh, So the first thing I want to point out to you, though, is that the devil wants to eat you alive. Did you know that? The devil wants to eat you alive. In fact, it says he wants to devour you. He's not going to just eat you and munch on you. He's like, gobble you up like the cookie monster or something. (laughs) So that's the main point. He's going to eat you alive. If you hear nothing else this morning, just remember that. Your devil, the devil, not your devil, the devil, is prowling like a roaring lion and he wants to eat you alive. So I want to ask you, have you ever engaged in spiritual battle? Yeah, amen. And some of you are thinking, oh, spiritual battle, isn't that for the charismatics, the Pentecostals? No, it's for every Christian. We all need to be engaged in spiritual battle. Because if we're not engaged in spiritual battle, guess what? We've already lost the battle. We've been sidelined by the devil and we're just sitting in the corner by ourselves and not doing anything. I'm telling you, if you've never been in spiritual battle, you'll never have victory in your ministry. You'll never see fruit in your ministry unless you've been engaged. You've engaged the battle. Paul... Paul said, I will find out not only how arrogant these people are talking, but what power they have. For listen to this. The kingdom of God is not about talk, but about power. Did you know that? How much power do you have in your ministry? Maybe it's because the devil has convinced you that he has no part to do in your ministry. And all he's doing is making you stagnant and not recognizing that you have power. So the first point of my message is that you might be sidelined by the devil without even knowing it. And secondly, the devil is a prowler, okay? He's out there on the loose. You know, you know the, the, Peter doesn't say, you know, the devil's like a lion. No, no, because lions, you know what lions do most of the time? They sleep <laughs> most of the time. No, no. The devil's like a prowling lion, a roaring lion. Lions roar when they're on the prowl and out to get you. That's what makes it so dangerous. The devil is always out there trying to get you. He always wants to devour you. He always wants to have you for lunch. And so the main point of this message this morning can be summed up by 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Now you might say to yourself, Amen, we know what the devil's doing. No, 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 this is, this is the apostle Paul talking. He knew what the devil was doing. We need to do our homework, okay? That's what this message is all about this morning. It's so that we can become like Paul, and know the schemes of the devil. And maybe some of you know his schemes, but I'm telling you, he's got a lot of schemes. And we need to know it, because we need to be like the American fleet, ready to know to do the counterattack, ready to do the offensive and defensive work. We need to know what's going on. Because if we don't, we'll be toast. Because honestly, we're outgunned. More than four to one. Except that we have... Unless we know the enemy and know ourselves, then we're not. Not by a long shot. But we have to know our enemy. We have to know ourselves. And so, 
It's interesting, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is actually talking about a crucial uh, um, weapon that the enemy has. You won't imagine what this is from this verse. You're like, well, what is it? You know what the enemy uses in this passage? Is unforgiveness. You see, if Satan can just get the church people to be unforgiving towards one another, unforgiving to the spouse, unforgiving to their family members, unforgiving to their parents or their children, he's won the battle. You know why? Because Jesus said that if we don't forgive our brothers from our heart, neither will our Heavenly Father forgive us. Well, if God doesn't forgive us, guess what? Our communication with God is out of, out of commission. And if our communication with God is out of commission, guess what? We don't have access to the power source to do the battle. We're done. And so unforgiveness, bitterness in our hearts towards another believer, oh, the devil loves that. That's his thing. And the devil wants to trap you in bitterness. And you know what? Sometimes the bitterness isn't even against a believer. It's against something that was done to you by your parents or by an uncle or when you were a kid or something. somebody did something to you sometime. And you've got bitterness in your heart. And instead of being like Christ, dying on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, they know not what you do, you just hold on to that. And it is destroying you it's destroying your ministry. It's destroying your relationship with God. It's wrecking havoc. And the devil is gleeful. He's just like, oh, this is awesome. Second Timothy 2, verse 26, it talks about the trap or the snare of the devil. How does the devil do all this? How does he set these traps for us? Why do we get ensnared by the devil at all? Well, let me tell you, the devil is the father of lies. Jesus said he's the father of lies. Next, next passage. Um, talks all about the fact that that people who follow the devil are following the follow the father of lies um, he is a liar he just lies all the time do you remember Ananias and Sapphira they thought they were followers of God they were donating a large sum of money to the church they thought hey this is good we're we're doing the right thing here I mean if if you sold your house and you gave the money to the church or, or a big chunk of the money to the church enough so that people were fooled into thinking that you gave all of the money from the sale of your house that'd be pretty pretty amazing but the bible says that that the apostles saw through it and challenged them are you lying to the holy spirit in other words ananias and sapphira didn't bring the full amount that they sold their property for now they didn't have to bring the full amount but they said they did and they lied to the Holy Spirit. And so they were following the, the, the father of lies. And that's why judgment fell on them and they were cursed by God and they both died. Revelation verse 12, chapter 12, verse 9 says that Satan is the deceiver of the whole world. He deceives people. Uh, chapter 20, verse uh, Eight says the one will will come and deceive the nations and revelations 20 verse 10 says the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake the devil one of his primary tools in his toolbox is to deceive you 
He wants to deceive you. He wants you to think something untrue. He's the father of lies, and so he wants you to believe his lies. And so he deceives. Remember in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So just like Eve, you remember Eve? Well, the Bible says about Eve, he says that the Bible says that the serpent was more crafty. <laughs> That's deceptive, okay? And the devil came along and he deceived Eve. He said, oh, did God say you can't eat from any of the trees of the garden? Of course, that was a lie, wasn't it? God didn't say that. God said you can't eat from one tree. So he started with a lie and he got Eve thinking and questioning. No, no, that's not quite what God said. God said, no, you can't eat uh, from any of the trees of the garden except the tree in the middle of the garden. We must not eat from it or even touch it. Did God say you can't touch it? Ah, Eve started to act like Satan. She started saying something that wasn't true. The father of lies started to have his impact. And then Satan lied again. In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely not die. Well, they died spiritually the day they ate of it. They certainly did. But they didn't die physically. And so Satan was deceiving them, moving them from a spiritual understanding to a physical understanding and saying, no, 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 you're not going to die physically. And they didn't die physically. And the Satan deceived them. He said, you're going to become like God. What was Satan's downfall? He wanted to become like God. And so now he uses his temptation to tempt someone else. Don't you want to be like God? Have knowledge of good and evil? And Satan deceived them. You remember when in the Old Testament, when Satan wanted to wipe out Israel, you know what he did? The Bible says that he went after David. He incited David to number the people. Now, what's wrong with numbering people? You know, isn't it important for a military commander? David was a military commander to know how many men he had when he had 400 followers. He numbered them. The numbers in the Bible, it doesn't seem like there's any problem. But Satan knew something about human nature. And he knew that if he could just get David to number the people, he knew that David would fall for the oldest trick in the book. The thing that, the problem that the devil himself had. Pride. And the devil knew it. As soon as he numbered, he's going to have pride. And that's going to be his downfall. And that's exactly what happened. David numbered the people Satan won the battle, and God punished David. And so now, the devil wins because God is destroying the nation of Israel because he attempted David. This, this is the cunningness, the craftiness of Satan. You see, Satan, the Bible says Satan masquerades as an angel of light. He comes along and says, David, why don't you count your men? That'll be a good thing. Military commanders, that's what they do. Count your people. And so the thing that the devil brings to you is not going to look evil. He's not going to tempt you with something that looks evil. He's going to tempt you with something that looks benign, that doesn't look like a problem. And then you will be dragged away. And once you fall for it, he will have you. And once he has you, boy, he'll never let go. And Satan also, you know, another tactic of Satan, not not only is he... uh, come as an angel, like a masquerader, a liar. 
But he is a, a blinder. He blinds people. The Bible says that he, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Huh. Guess what our mission is? What's our mission as Christians? To preach the gospel, exactly. To open their eyes, the Bible says. Satan has blinded them. Our mission is to open their eyes. And guess what? A lot of us try to do that by arguing with people. You know? Doesn't work. But if we do spiritual battle beforehand, before we go out, if we pray before we go out, if we ask for God's blessing before we meet our friends and share with them the gospel, then... It's like picking ripe fruit. These people, they're just, it's like they're tripping over themselves to believe. Why? Because we bound the strong man and we've entered it in this, as a spiritual battle. And I've seen it over and over again. When I want to argue people into the kingdom, nothing happens. When I do it on my own strength, nothing happens. But when I fasted and prayed, when I've asked God to go ahead, it's like, wow, is that ever easy? What in the world's going on? We have to know that Satan blinds the eyes. We, we can't be going, what, what, what's wrong with you? Why don't you believe this? This is simple what I'm explaining to you. It doesn't work that way. Satan has blinded them. We need to un, unblind their eyes. Did we show Acts? Yeah, there you go. Open their eyes. That's our mission. That's Peter or Paul talking about his mission. Matthew 13, 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along. Remember the parable of the sower and the seed and the path, the seed falling along the path. Not only has Satan blinded their eyes, but when, when their blinded eyes can't see the gospel, that's when Satan comes along and takes the, the seed of the gospel and just takes it away. This is a spiritual battle we're in, folks. It needs to be spiritual uh, aligned. Next thing I want to point out is that that just like the Japanese Navy, the devil is powerful. Okay, you saw that ship, the Yakoma class, the biggest the biggest battleship the world has ever seen. They're terrifying <laughs> and they're powerful. You don't just mess around with that thing. Okay. And we need to give the devil proper respect without fearing him. Okay? So there's a balance here between disregarding the devil, saying, oh, no, he's nothing. No, no, he's powerful. He's a formidable enemy. And the other thing is, oh, no, the devil. Oh, what are we going to do? He's taking over the world. Canada's going to pot because, literally, Sorry, that just came out. (laughs) But, I mean, we're in trouble morally. Today, uh, it's now become ill, and they're trying to make it illegal to try to convince someone not to become a homosexual. And they're making that, I mean, it's unbelievable how far morality has moved from where in the past it might have been illegal to be a homosexual. Now it's illegal to speak to anyone to challenge them. Whoa, that's a long way. The devil. What's well, because 
the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. According to 1 John 5, 19. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You know, as, as North Americans, we tend to, you know, kind of squash the spiritual thing. You know, we don't like to talk about powers in the air and, you know, demonic forces and, and, you know, the strongholds of the devil. These all seem very, very foreign and very, you know, like, ah, come on, that's, that's talk from uh, yesteryear. No, it's not. It's real. Now, on the other hand, we don't want to see the devil behind every bush. Every time you get a cough, every time you stub your toe, it's not the devil destroying your ministry, okay? There's a balance between these two things. And we need to understand the right balance. There's no, you know, demon of coughing or something that's overtaking you. I don't think the world is now caught in the devil's grip in a pandemic. Uh, Although maybe somebody could argue that, but I'm not going to be that one. following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You know what? When we see all of the world sliding into immorality, we have to recognize one thing. They're simply following their leaders. They're following the demonic spirits. It's a spiritual battle. The devil comes to steal and kill and destroy but Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. You see the, see the contrast here? Amen. The contrast is amazing. The devil has come to destroy, and Jesus came to give life. Are you living the life Jesus came to give? Are you winning the battle? Do you know your enemy? Do you know who the battler for you is? Amen. The devil comes to destroy Whoever makes the practice of sinning is of the devil, the Bible says. The great, the, the dragon in the Revelation is called the accuser of the brethren. You know what? The devil accuses you before God. He says, oh, you know, that so-and-so, that Bill guy, you know, I, did you see what he did yesterday? Huh? He lost his cool over there. He completely forgot to talk to you, God. What do you think of that? Don't you think he's a scoundrel? He says he's a pastor of a church. <laughs> he's a hypocrite. And the devil is constantly attacking. The devil is accusing us before God. And the devil accuses us to our own conscience too. And tries to make us think that we're no good, rotten, good for nothing. Sidelined Christian, right? That's his, that's his goal. You remember the story of Job? Job's... The, the devil goes to God and says, Oh, God, you, you make Job. And yeah, he's, yeah, sure, he serves you. But you made him rich, so he serves you to get benefit. You take all that away, and he'll curse you. And then later on, he accuses Job of, of uh, enjoying God's protection for health. Take that away, and he'll curse you. The devil is constantly looking for opportunities to destroy you and I. But God knows what you can handle. God knows what you can be tempted with. And the Bible says that you will not be tempted beyond what you can, you can handle. Did you know that? Sometimes, I'm telling you, I feel like the temptations that hit my way, 
they are beyond what I can handle. That's, that's how I feel sometimes. Literally, they feel like they're beyond what I can The Bible says, no, 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 that's just a lie of Satan. Satan's lying to me. He's trying to make me think I can't handle it. But the Bible says I can't, and I know I can. There are other accusations. Uh, anyways, uh, I don't have time. I've I got to keep moving. He's also a tempter. Uh, you know, the, the Bible says that God tempts us morally all the time. In Corinth, there was so much immorality. You know what? The Bible says that for married couples... You want to you wanna have intimate relationships with your wife and your, or your husband so that they will not be tempted. In other words, we need to support one another. And a marriage couple can keep the partner from being drawn astray by having a wonderful courtship, a wonderful relationship with your spouse that includes uh, sex, actually. That's what it's talking about. That's vital. Why? Because Satan wants to tempt your spouse into doing what they ought not to do morally for those who aren't married man you have got a frontal attack by satan on your sainthood i mean he wants to destroy you the the pornography industry the that has just gone crazy and i fear for young men i have three young men in my family terrifies me we are help them it's it's unbelievable what what people today are faced with. And we need to understand the devil is trying to destroy the church through these methods. He's the tempter. Jesus was led into temptation as well. And guess what? It was the Holy Spirit that empowered him to be led into temptation. But Jesus overcame the tempter by quoting scripture back to him. We need to do the same thing. That's part of our... I'm going to talk about that in a minute. One more thing. Uh, is that uh, Paul says that he came, he tried to go uh, to the Thessalonians again and again, but Satan hindered me. So Satan does, in fact, has the ability, has the power to hinder our ministry, to stop us from going places. So what do we do about this? Well, so that's sort of knowing your enemy, okay? That's the first thing. He's a prowler and he wants to eat you for lunch. Big deal. It's a big deal. So what do we have to do? Well, Peter gives four things. First of all, be alert. Be alert. Pay attention. Understand your enemy. Secondly, be of sober mind. Now, soberness is usually the opposite of drunkenness, right? Well, drunkenness is uncontrolled foolishness, really. That's what drunkenness is, okay? So in other words, sobriety is the opposite. It's it's calm. It's collected, it's understanding, it's thoughtful, it's sober. And so that's how we approach the devil. Not like, oh, the devil's some funny guy with the horns, and he's red, he's got the long tail. (laughs) We can handle him. No. He's the enemy of your souls. He wants to destroy you. And his mission is to destroy us. Next he talks about resist him. Resist him. Well, what does that mean? It means when you understand his schemes, that you are responsible for doing some resi- for for resisting what he's planning on doing. You know he's a liar. You know he's a deceiver. You know he's going to tempt you. He's you know he's going to try to tempt you in a way that's not truthful. 
And so you need to resist him. <clears throat> the Bible, James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil. So this is a two-part, submitting to God and resisting the devil. And God helps us in this. Um, Romans 16 verse 20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Amen. God is on our side. He's going to crush Satan. Um, Ephesians 6, verse 11, it says, put on the whole armor of God so that you might be able to stand. Okay? Standing firm is the next thing that Peter says. Um, He says, stand firm in the faith and give no opportunity to the devil. Remember what Jesus said to Peter when Peter tried to dissuade him from going to the cross? Remember that? He said, get behind me, Satan. Now, you might go like, oh, that's pretty strong. But but Jesus was resisting temptation here. And Satan found opportunity to come into Peter and use Peter to try to tempt Jesus. So there will be Christians who come along sometimes and tempt you. But what did Jesus say about Peter? Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as weight, but what? I have prayed for you. Thank you, prayer leader. (laughs) Somebody knows your scriptures. But I have prayed for you. Prayer is the thing that keeps us from becoming the prey. Did you get that? All right, thank you. Prayer keeps us from becoming prey. That's exactly true. The devil wants to eat you alive, but our best weapon is to go on our knees and ask God. And that's what Jesus did for Peter. When Peter, when, when our brothers and sisters want to be sifted, we need to pray for them. When you know your, your children are, are going through a trial where they're going to be tempted, there's, their peers are offering them smokes and they're not of the tobacco kind, and you need to be aware and praying that Satan would not deceive your kids. You need to be aware of what's going on around you and pray for the people. Um, And I love what it says in Revelations chapter 12 when it talks about Satan and his defeat. This is what it says. And they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. We have the ultimate aircraft carrier here, folks. The ultimate destroyer. We have the blood of Christ. And it's, it's with his blood that we destroy. Satan is terrified of the blood of Christ because he, it is the thing that destroyed him, the thing that beat him. And when we uh, call upon Christ and by his power and by his blood, we announce over Satan his, his doom and his death. And he, he's terrified. He has to do what, he's, what he says. And it also says, by the word of their testimony... When we testify what God is doing in our lives, when we get in little groups and say, hey, you know, the Lord has done this miracle in my life, aha, uh-huh, we overcome Satan then. And you know what? AA has discovered this power, that when addicts get together and they share how their battle's been going, Satan loses his power. And when they share how God is helping them overcome Satan, they overcome. 
This is by the word of their testimony. Sharing within a group is powerful. That's why I encourage you all to attend a care group at some point. In fact, there's a care group that meets here on Friday nights. They meet in the Mandarin Sanctuary. It's basically another worship service, and it's smaller, and you can talk about your needs, and there's more discussion. So it's not like a big group like this. There's more discussion. And that's where you can share. What, what is your struggles? And people can pray for you. And this is one of the methods that we have to destroy the work of Satan. So I want to say this one thing. That Satan is powerful, but he's defeated. After the battle of Midway, the Japanese were in retreat. The devil is in retreat. That doesn't make him less powerful. But he's in retreat. It just means that we got the big guns behind us. And don't ever deceive yourself thinking that you have the power. No, Christ has the power, and he invites you into the battle, to battle alongside with him to win the victory. And I love what John says. He says, I no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he's got no claim on me. Amen? (laughs) Amen. God, the ruler of this world has no claim on me. I'm Christ. I'm found in his blood. He's got no claim on me. Isaiah said, How you have fallen, O O star of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid nations low. The devil is defeated. And Jesus says, Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will hurt you. Recognize that in Christ... You have the power to overcome. Satan's demise has already started, and he's going to be thrown into the pit of burning sulfur forever and ever. You know, one of the things about a roaring lion is that it's terrifying. And most people run away from a roaring lion. You know, the, uh, what was it, the Yoshima-class battleships, the biggest the world has ever seen, with, you know, like nine 18-inch cannons. It's terrifying, absolutely terrifying. But you know what? The devil might be powerful, and it might be terrifying, but when you're in Christ, he has no authority. He is... His power is broken. It's like those battleships from World War II. They seem incredibly powerful. But you know what? There's not a single battleship left on the face of the planet in operation. Why not? Because they're useless. The new ships, the destroyers, can easily take on these huge behemoths because they have guided missiles. Well, guess what, believers? We have guided missiles. It's prayer. (laughs) Okay? In prayer, we can take on the devil. Outside of Christ, even the the angels, they don't say, curse you, devil. They don't say, ah, devil, be gone. They don't command the devil to do anything. You know what they say? The Lord curse you. The Lord send you into the pit. They call upon God to do the work. And so it is in our prayer life. We need to call upon God, the greater power, to shoot his guided missiles into the devil and destroy the works of the devil. That's what we're all about. Amen? 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the victory that is surely ours. We thank you, Lord, that you have given the weapons of our warfare that we can fight this battle. But Lord, we are prone to think inside the box, to think, to do it our own way, to try not to be afraid of the devil on our own strength. But Lord, keep us from doing that. Help us to be reliant on you and your power. Lord, come, Lord Jesus, and empower your saints that they might fight this battle effectively that they might not be, be swept away by the cunning deception of the devil, but, Lord, that they might experience the power of the risen Christ. Lord, we dedicate ourselves to you. We ask, Lord, that you would use us effectively. Lord, help us to open the eyes of the blind. Help us to, to break the hold that Satan has on people through falsities, through, Lord, media and, and the, the general population and, and, Lord, falseness, like theories of, of, of evolution. Lord, we pray against these things. We ask, Lord, that your people would not be closed-minded to these, but, Lord, that you would open their eyes to the deception that is all around them. And Lord, may we experience the power of the risen Christ in our daily life. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.